Welcome to the Rewilded Human Podcast, where Dr. Lucille and Lynn will tackle your most difficult and intimate questions with candor, tough love, and a little dash of humor. In today's episode, I I don't see a lot of CBT practitioners being very welcoming of even learning about EMDR. So it's kind of like there is, the, I, I call, um, you know, my area, the kingdom of CBT, because mm-hmm. you can, you know, the CBT people will, will, you know, uh, be rather dismissive. And I'm not dissing CBT. I think it can be very helpful for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, people also should be aware that there's something other than, than CBD. Yeah. Welcome everyone to episode 13 of the Rewilded Human podcast. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Dr. Lucille. And today's going to be a little bit different, guys. I'm really, really excited. I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Lucille today, and we're going to be talking about EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I had to use my cheat notes. Sorry. Bravo. bravo. <laughs> so this is a therapy that Dr. Lucille has been using for a very long time. And we've mentioned this in previous episodes. I'm really, really curious about it. I'd love to know more. And I'm sure you guys would love to know more about this as well. Just to give you guys a little bit, very quick intro about me. I'm a nutritional consultant, a naturopath, and I'm kind of a wild child living all over the world. I'm a best-selling author of two books, The Aging Gives, How to Come Out a Winner, and The Fasting Bible. If you're watching this in January, great time to start fasting, guys, in the beginning of the year. And let me introduce you to Dr. Lucille, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself as well, please. Yes, thanks, Lynn. Uh, I am a psychiatrist, psychotherapist. I work here in Canada. I have been uh, doing psychiatry and psychotherapy for, I. it's, uh, well, certainly over 35 years. And uh, it was back in 1995 that I uh, decided to focus on a modality called EMDR. So, and uh, my other hat is as a Healy uh, world member, I basically I'm in love with frequency devices and so I introduce people to the Healy and that um, I won't go into at this point but I would say that everything is energy and energy is everything so a lot of our issues could really be dealt with very very successfully if we understood how energetically we could change our vibration and change our whole lives. That is so, so true. We need to do an episode about, about energy devices and energy healing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely should yeah. do that because there's so much yeah. to unpack with these devices. Mm-hmm. It's just so fascinating. Guys, if you're interested about interested to learn more about Healy, check out the link below and you can find some more information there. But we will definitely talk more about it in the future. And then let's talk about the EMDR. So, Dr. Lucille, can you explain EMDR? in layman's terms, and how it differs from t- traditional talk therapy that you would use with your patients? Okay, well, the traditional talk therapy is just that, it's talking. Mm-hmm. Now, you engage various parts of your brain when you're talking about your problems, right? But the majority of the action is in the frontal cortex of the brain. That's where, uh, when you're doing talk therapy, you're basically... Uh, you know, all the activities there and you're thinking about the problem and maybe you're getting some insights into it and you're feeling some emotions, perhaps in some bodily sensations or whatever. But uh, talk therapy only engages a certain portion of the brain. And that's why people like, you know, Woody Allen uh, could be in psychoanalysis for, I don't know what, like over 30 years and still working on his stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I'm not dissing traditional talk therapy. I did it for many years. And, you know, I did have some success with it. But it wasn't until I found EMDR that I realized that you could really get uh, remarkable results in a shorter period of time. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that EMDR requires activation of the body at the same time that you are focused on your problems, all Mm -hmm. right? So activation is the key uh, element of it. And what that is, is called bilateral stimulation. So you apply a stimulus to the body uh, that is 
in a rhythm of right, left, right, left, right, left. And it's interesting that when you do a focus on your problems, while you are engaging the body, it could be tapping on the knees, it could be eye movements, it could be so many different things. The brain starts rewiring itself and it encompasses not just the prefrontal cortex, it encompasses the whole brain. So the whole brain starts getting involved, starts lighting up and getting involved. And what happens is, uh, the person starts suddenly uh, feeling different and they start as if by magic having a whole new idea about what went on or how they interpreted it. And then before you know it, they start feeling like there's there's no emotional charge. There's no upset left to the memory, well, whatever it may be. What, or is this something the that you can see on a CAT scan if you, you know, during yes, the yeah. yes, uh-huh. yes, yes, yes. So you can see it on any kind of like if they have done scans. In fact, some people who are into the research on this have done scans before mm-hmm. and after EMDR. And it is very, very clear that there is a significant difference. So so if we just use the example of somebody who's been traumatized, like something like they've been in a car accident mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, near death experience or whatever. And they come out of it like really traumatized. And you take a picture of their brain, whether it's a SPECT scan or an MRI or whatever, you will notice that there are parts of the brain that are under-functioning and look almost dead. They, they're just not, the neurons are just uh, not communicating with one another. And then there may be other parts of the brain that are overworking to try to compensate Mm-hmm. for the part that are almost dead. And so they're lighting up all over the place and they're working really, really hard. And then person has EMDR treatment. They do an after shot and the entire brain looks like it's functioning as normal. Uh, like all the team players, all the parts of the brain are uh, lighting up just as they should. Wow. Not too excessively and not less than what they should be mm-hmm. so yes you can absolutely see that on scans for Amazing. sure so it's yeah. like everything starts working in perfect harmony again exactly exactly yes that is yeah. super interesting now what kind of yeah. conditions or traumas have you seen emdr help well you know originally it was designed to work for uh ptsd a lot mm-hmm. of the original work was done on uh, vietnam vets mm-hmm. in the states uh, so it, it the primary thing that it was designed for is uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. But since then, uh, people have found that it's useful in depression, in uh, panic attacks, phobias, hmm. uh, eating disorders, substance abuse disorders, uh, bipolar disorder, and some really um, brave therapists have actually used it with people with psychosis. And they found ways to help those people as well. That's really so. Yeah. So, what really, about like and, fear of fear of flying, for example? Yeah, that like a phobia of fear of flying, for example. Yeah, that would be very, uh, very common. And the other thing that people don't realize is that when you also rewire your brain to come out of, uh, you know, the the bondage of uh, trauma or upsetting memories. That's one thing that you can do, but you can also use it for peak performance. Mm-hmm. So um, some therapists actually work or directly with like uh, athletes or oh. performers, and you can use EMDR to help them enhance their performance. So that doesn't have anything to do with trauma or depression or anything. It's just enhancing performance because, of course, you are rewiring your brain so it functions even more effectively at anything you do. That's okay? amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think it's something that, you know, everybody should be aware of because so many people, unfortunately, uh, live with the myth. And it's like kind of in our society, the myth that, you know, once you're traumatized, that's it. You're done for it. There's, yeah. no, there's no hope for you. It's true. And that's absolutely not true. And there's not a lot of information out there about EMDR. I, I really just only heard about it recently, maybe about a year ago for the first time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's mm-hmm. so fascinating. And if it's so effective, it's just amazing that people are not talking about it more. 
Yes. That's why we're here. Um, we're talking about it. That's so. why we're here. We're talking about it. And I, I agree with you. And I think it is important that people have a, an understanding that there are other options out there other than just talk therapy or maybe uh, CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. which is, you know, become kind of the standard. The CBT has become kind of the standard uh, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And um to be perfectly honest, I I don't see a lot of CBT practitioners being very welcoming of even learning about EMDR. So it's kind of like there is, the, I, I call, um, you know, my area, the kingdom of CBT, because mm-hmm. you can, you know, the CBT people will, will you know, uh, be rather dismissive. And I'm not dissing CBT. I think it can be very helpful for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, people also should be aware that there's something other than than CBD. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And I think you you are the same as I am. Like, we like a holistic approach rather than just yeah. having one therapy. It's so nice to have different modalities that you can bring together yes. to help the patient. I think that makes all the difference. Um, Dr. Lucia, do you have, do you have like a case study or something that you could share with us where you had a patient and EMDR came in very handy and made a difference in the patient's life? Sure. Um, you know, most of my patients have trauma, like coming out of their ears and they have so, have so much difficulty in their lives. Uh, you know, by the time they reach me when they're like middle-aged or older, they they have so much that we have to unload for them. But I will tell you that uh, just a simple example of someone who had a single trauma, that was very dramatic. She was a young woman, maybe in her early 20s. She also had uh, ADD. Uh, She was, um, you know, basically working, uh, you know, kind of a, um, you know, semi-independent life, although she still lived with her parents, she worked at, uh, at in retail, and everything was pretty, pretty good in her life. She had lots of support, she had friends, everything. And then one night, uh, unfortunately, she was sexually assaulted oh my God. Uh, by by strangers. And that really, you know, it just almost destroyed her. It was uh, fairly vicious, it came out of nowhere. And it, she was, you know, unable to go to work after that. She had uh, nightmares. She couldn't sleep. She had intrusive, kept having intrusive thoughts of the the rape uh, during her waking hours. Um, And, um, you know, she was really going downhill. She was scared of everything. She didn't want to go out of the house. And somehow her mother found me and she'd learned something about EMDR. And she asked me, can you see my my daughter? She's in really bad shape. So I did. And I worked with her for, I think it was maybe tops, maybe four or five sessions. And it cleared. It completely cleared. And she was able to go back to work and resume her social life and felt much better about herself and she you know she after a while she couldn't even recall the details of what happened wow. to her yeah it's amazing that so, you could do that in four or five sessions because I mean yeah. when, like that happens most people will just carry that with them for the rest of their lives impacting yeah. everything in their lives all their relationships yeah. and everything going forward so that you can actually yeah. accomplish that in a, just a few sessions mm-hmm. is absolutely incredible yeah. Yeah. And it was lovely because her mother uh, then messaged me afterward and she said, we are so grateful for you and you will always be in our prayers. Thank you so much for how you helped our daughter. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah. I also don't want, I don't want to give the misimpression though, that, that uh, all issues can be dealt with in, you know, four or five sessions. Yes, of course. Mostly, most of the time, no. Mm -hmm. And I, I do have people who have turned themselves around considerably but they've been in uh I think the longest patient I've had in treatment is like 10 years wow and these are people who have had such a rough go of it it's like every day of their life since they were born they've had four or five or six uh, traumas every day you know how is that even possible oh it is so possible and it's so unfortunately common right because um a lot of people are traumatized they do not heal and then they go on and have children mm-hmm. and then they unfortunately without even realizing what they're doing they inflict their trauma on their children Absolutely. so 
Yeah, I won't go into detail because it's kind of depressing. But even they, I mean, after a few years, I mean, I've had people say to me, you know what, I know we've been working at this for a long time, but I am really amazed by how different I am. I feel different. I'm not the person I was before. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful Mm -hmm. that I, you know, I've done this work with you. And it's not me, you know, it's, but it's use of the, um, use of the tool and the intention of the person who's Mm -hmm. coming for help. So, yeah, so you can rewire your brain. Absolutely. For sure. There's no question. It may take longer for some people, but it can happen for absolutely. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, Lucille, what are the typical stages or steps in Excuse me. What are the typical stages or steps in the EMDR session and how long does the treatment usually last? Okay, well, um, you know, it's it's an eight stage process, really. So you start with uh, a history taking, of course, that's number one. Number two, you start preparing the person. So you tell them what they can expect because it's a very different process from, you know, how we go through life day to day. When Mm -hmm. you go through an EMDR session, you're really getting in touch with your unconscious mind. Mm-hmm. And that can be for some people like really strange or sometimes a little bit freaky. Uh-huh. So, uh, and you have to also kind of prepare people that there is no right or wrong way of doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so programmed that, you know, we have to perform to a certain standard. There's a certain standard, like we have to get that A on the, uh, on the math exam. And yes. So one way to get the A and, and so many people come in and they're all flustered and worried that they're not going to do it perfectly. And I have to, I have to prepare them a lot to say, listen, just be curious about your own process because your own process is unique. And that unique process is going to get you to your healing. Mm-hmm. There is no one size fits all, right? So you yeah. prepare them. That's number two. Number three is, is the assessment where you actually pick the first you know, memory that you're going to work on. And you kind of really understand what the issues are for the person. You detail, you know, how, you know, do they have a visual picture of it in their mind? Do they have certain uh, negative beliefs about themselves as a Mm -hmm. result of what happened to them? What are their emotions when they think about it? What are are their bodily sensations? Mm -hmm. And then you have them rate the severity on a scale of zero to 10, how they feel in this moment when they look back on that, whatever horrible thing happened. Mm-hmm. So you, they rate it then on a zero to 10 scale. Okay, so that's number three, that's the assessment. Number four is the actual desensitization where you apply the bilateral stimulus mm-hmm. to the body. So they start by thinking about the memory and then you instruct them to just, you know, let it go and start just tap or I will tap. I, in. Pre-pandemic days, I would touch the patient, but now every a lot of it's done on Zoom or, uh, you know, there's still yeah. physical distancing in some cases. So, But it works very, very well if, if the patient does it on themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that's the desensitization phase. And as you go through that, you start noticing that the, every time you ask the patient, okay, what's happened? What are you noticing about the memory now? You will see mm-hmm. that they get differing perceptions after a while. It's like, gee, I can hardly see the picture of it anymore. Or I just realized that that had nothing to do with me. I wasn't the bad one. Um, And so they will have differing perceptions. And you will see that as you do the desensitization, the memory starts fading away. Hmm. And the ideal is, of course, you want to get them to that zero out of 10, where they either feel neutral or even sometimes positive about the memory. Okay, so that's number four, that's desensitization. Mm -hmm. And then um, the fifth one is installation. Everybody who has a bad experience has a negative belief about themselves. But what you want when you when you free them from the memory, you want them to install a positive belief about themselves. So if their negative belief was, I'm incapable, Maybe their positive belief then uh, is, I'm very capable, I'm very competent, I'm resilient, whatever it may be. And then you can use the tapping or the bilateral stimulation to install that. So uh, it's very interesting uh, that the positive beliefs actually grow stronger when you use the bilateral stimulation. 
So you, therefore, you're, you're kind of strengthening that person. Mm-hmm. You took away the trauma, but now you're inserting something, installing something that will make them stronger for the rest of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. So number six, then, is uh, body scan. So when you're installing the positive belief, you check. You, you want to check the body. The body is always going to tell you the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And so you install a positive belief and you check with the body and ask, okay, so when you think about the positive belief and you now think about the memory, how does your body react? And what the, if it's successfully been treated, this, whatever this memory is, if it's, if it's really gone to zero, you, the patient will report that your body feels relaxed or they feel lighter Mm -hmm. or they feel more expanded. And so we're always checking at the very end with the body and the body will tell us when the person's done with it. Would you do any muscle testing or anything at this point? You don't really need to, uh, unless you have some, you could, and I used to do it in the past. You could, if there was uh, something that wasn't quite right in the body and you couldn't quite figure out and it wasn't like you weren't, but you weren't, you weren't able through continued bilateral stimulation to figure out what it was or get it back to zero again. Um, But I I find 99.999% of the time now it's once you identify if the body's not happy with it, and you keep doing some bilateral stimulation, uh, it goes to zero and it's fine. Yeah. So anyway, and then uh, number seven is closure, uh, where you basically you debrief you say well how is that for you and do you have any comments do you have any questions about what you experienced with that sometimes people are amazed and they want to know how it happened or what you know so you give them a chance to really debrief and really understand it a little bit better for themselves you also sometimes you may not complete the treatment in the one session and the person uh, still has remnants of whatever the upsetting memory was and so in the closure part you would uh teach them strategies to get them to a more grounded and calm state those strategies they can then use in between the sessions Mm -hmm. if they're still feeling upset about this or it comes back to them Mm -hmm. uh, in their waking hours they can use these strategies to calm themselves down and get grounded again uh and it holds them until they come back for the next session to hopefully complete the memory. It's really great. So you give them little tools that they can use at home. Sure, absolutely. And then, then, then the final one is uh, number eight, which is reevaluation. So uh, that's where you know they may come back for the next session or uh, whichever session is the one after you've completed completed the treatment, and you just you know ask them, well, did you ever uh, have any problems with this memory? Did it come back? Uh, did anything else pop up about it? You know, so you just eva- you know, make sure that it's truly gone. And if it's not gone, or if an associated me- memory has popped up, well, then you know you start the whole process over again with whatever came up, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the eight step process. So there's the number one history taking, number two is the preparation, number three is the assessment, number four, desensitization, five is installation. Six is the body scan, seven is the closure, and eight is the reevaluation. Sounds sounds really, really fascinating. Very, very interesting. Um, I think we kind of covered this, but my next question is if EMDR can be used with other modalities or other healing techniques, you usually use it in combination with other therapies as well, right? Or is it just something that... First of all, yes, it can be, um, and it depends. Like, first of all... um, EMDR is always done within uh, kind of the container of psychotherapy. So there's still Mm -hmm. talk therapy going on, but EMDR is a modality within that, that is the driving force in the healing. Okay. So yes, you can do talk therapy. Sometimes in order to get a patient comfortable, even to start EMDR, you're going to do some talk therapy. Uh, to get them to that state of feeling safe and and trusting enough to try it, okay? I also use things like essential oils, aromatherapy, and I think I think you also use Young Living essential yes, oils. Yes, I do. Yes, so, yeah, I use them as well. And the beauty of those is they have a chemical in them, um, sesquiterpenes, mm-hmm. 
that actually bring more oxygen to the part of the brain that holds memories and emotions. Wow, I did not know. That's very interesting. Yes, yes. And it also helps to calm the person down. So it's a double effect that you're getting where it's assisting the EMDR in allowing the person to go more deeply into their emotions and their memories and the detail of the memories, but at the same time, stay relatively calm. So um, that is another thing that I use. And I, I also use the Healy, um, the Mag Healy. What you can do with this is great because you can put it in the office and it emits, it, it emits a magnetic field that helps in many ways to, to, uh, balance out the energies mm -hmm. because the person with the issue and me, we're all giving out energies all the time. And so this Healy um, basically puts out energies into the atmosphere that also help to balance everything out. So um, that's, that's really cool. I've been meaning to ask you that if you use the heal in your therapy, that's yes, really interesting. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually have a uh, a couple of clients, uh, one client who regularly comes in, she has her own Healy. And so she tunes it to whatever program she feels is right for her. Mm -hmm. And we use the Mag Healy at the same time. So we're using two devices in the in the session and she just loves it. So very that's cool. it. Now, I know that other therapists use other modalities. Like if they've been trained in other modalities prior to coming into EMDR, like uh, some people will use things like hypnosis on occasion or neuro-linguistic programming or whatever. And they basically, it, it, they try to use it synergistically with the EMDR to enhance the effects. So, yes, you can certainly use it with, um, you know, you, you can use a lot of different modalities with the EMDR. The one thing that I would, you know, just you know, evaluate a little more carefully is if you're already using something like uh, another um, body-oriented technique, like emotional freedom technique, also involves tapping. Yes. Uh, which is great. Um, I wouldn't necessarily combine the two in the same session mm -hmm. uh, because it's, you know, it's, I think it's a little too much stimulus to the body, mm -hmm. but uh, if people want to do EFT outside of the sessions, I don't mm -hmm. have a problem with that. Or, you know, uh, people have various tapping things that they do uh, mm -hmm. on their own or or things like um, stimulating their acupressure points, mm -hmm. things like that. That's perfectly fine. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, the next question is, are there any misconceptions about EMDR that you would like to clarify for our listeners? So if they go searching for EMDR, yeah. will there be some things that come up? That could be confusing for someone. Yeah. First of all, you know, when it was uh, originally promoted way back in the early 90s, it was promoted, unfortunately, as a one session treatment. Mm -hmm. And the founder of uh, EMDR later uh, stated openly she regretted that that was ever the message given. Because, yes, for some very... Um, specific issues maybe one session can do the trick but for the vast majority of people it can be in some cases lengthy as I said I have one client who's like been doing it for like 10 years usually people can uh it can get whatever even if they've had chronic issues they can usually complete a course of therapy if they stick with it within a year or two or so okay mm -hmm. but nobody should come in thinking oh well I'm going to have one session and that's going to do the trick mm -hmm. I have to dispute people of that notion also another thing uh, because it's still called EMDR eye movement desensitization and reprocessing people think that you only use the eyes and actually the majority of therapists don't use the eyes anymore uh some do but a lot of them, myself included, prefer tapping on the body because mm -hmm. that way the person uh, can tune in. Their eyes will be closed and they're sort of just tuning into whatever comes up in their consciousness. Whereas with the eye movements, you're constantly having to track either the therapist's hand going back and forth or they have light boxes that uh, have lights that focus the, the eyes uh, to go back and forth. And that those work. Those work great. Mm -hmm. But some sometimes it's a problem because people's eyes get tired after a while, or they have dry eyes and it's hard for them. Mm -hmm. Or and it 
So it depends. And I try and get people to just pick the uh, bilateral stimulus that feels comfortable for them. So it's maybe, not maybe you can tune in better as well when your eyes are closed. Yeah, you can certainly tune in better. Yeah, for sure. So uh, some people also think of it as magic. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I'm just going to go to the EMDR therapist and she's going to take out her magic wand and tap <laughs> me on the head mm-hmm. and it'll all be gone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the problem with that is if you're not going to take action in your own life, if you're not going to do the things that will support your healing outside of the session, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to take, you know, it's kind of like people who think, oh, magic's going to happen and my life will just be perfect. And that's it. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's unfortunately a misconception for a lot of the, in a lot of therapies. Mm-hmm you know, you do some work, even though in the actual um, session itself, you may be more feeling passive, and you're just observing what comes up for you. The point is that you still have to take responsibility for yourself. And you have to understand that when you change, like with any therapy, when you change, things will change in your life including, for example, there may be relationships that Mm -hmm. either fall apart or that simply change up. And you may find yourself in different relationships. You may find that you still have to uh, learn certain behavioral ways of dealing with the world, right? That's, you know, you have to practice whatever insights come up for you in the EMDR. And you have to take them into your real life. So no, there's no, there's no actual magic. It's not like I'm going to change up your life and you don't have to do a thing and everything will be hunky dory. No. It's like with everything else, you have to put in the work yourself as well. There's no magic. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. So if, if you're, um, you know, going to do EMDR and you have a session, oh, I, this is something that has used to come up a lot. You people who would come in, they do a session and then they go home and they toke up like they would, uh, you know, do marijuana, whatever. And that erases all the work. Really? It does. It really does. Why is that? Um, I'm not I'm not totally certain of why that is. Um, I think any amount of substance abuse will change the state of the brain. Mm-hmm. And it will make the bra- it harder for the brain to um, consolidate any new learning, because mm-hmm. if you if you've ever um, if you've ever dealt with people who are moderate to intense cannabis users, mm-hmm. um, it certainly was my experience, and I've talked to researchers who also found this. They um, have difficulty learning. Period. Like their learning just goes down the tubes if they do it long enough. I've seen the scans from Dr. Amen. You've probably seen the scans as well. And and he's showing that actually marijuana use can be even worse than alcohol abuse for the brain. Yes, Yes. right, right. Especially if you're using a lot of THC. Mm -hmm. At a young age, and the kids are starting it younger and younger. Right, exactly. So that would be an example of no, I'm not going to, you know, magically change you and you can go back to all your bad habits. It just doesn't Mm -hmm. work that way. And the other thing is, uh, people are afraid that this is, uh, this will make them dwell on their bad memories and their traumas, and they're only going to feel re traumatized if they focus on it. And that's not actually true. It's more if you just let your brain go, your brain knows how to heal. It really is amazing at healing. And it does not want you to stay stuck in any of this. Mm-hmm. It will, it, you know, and it's like any other function of our body. The natural tendency is for healing. Mm-hmm. So I always give the analogy of a cut on your skin. Mm-hmm. And you just, uh, you know, your your body will go to, Go to town immediately. It will start working to heal that. It doesn't just leave it there and it doesn't, you know, do anything to make it worse. It's always working to heal that. And the same is true of your nervous system. Uh, it's just that some people are so overburdened with 
traumas uh, or bad experiences that the brain has not had enough time to catch up and do the work of self-healing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, it's not about, no, we're just going to throw you into the pit of misery and keep you there and you're going to just feel awful. No, yeah. the brain is self-healing. And the other thing that often comes up with people is the, you know, I we talked about it a little earlier, perfectionism. They have to work hard. They feel they have to work hard and they have to think through the, uh, to their healing. They have to use their logical brain and think and uh, think hard and over-focus and figure it out and all of that. And um, it's very interesting how many people I have to keep counseling to just relax. Mm-hmm. The healing will happen more effectively if you relax and allow your unconscious to just take the wheel of the car and drive it to its healing. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, it really if you overthink it, you get in the way of the healing. Yeah, I can totally. So, yeah, so that's those are my top misconceptions. There are probably oh, others, but those are my that's, top. That's, that's super interesting. I wouldn't have guessed those at all. So that's that's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucille, what does the current research say about the long-term effectiveness of EMDR therapy? Do we know anything you know, about the long-term there effects? Isn't, there isn't a lot out there about the long-term effect. Most of the studies, and I think it's largely because of um, lack of financing, most of the studies are short-term, uh, and they involve you know, um, a brief number of sessions, maybe you know, 6 to 12, something like that. Um, and there isn't usually a lot of follow-up afterwards. And what the f- research is mostly about is comparing EMDR to like CBT or EMDR versus um, an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, they do the before uh, measurement of where the person is and then after, and they, you know, determine if there's been a significant difference with the EMDR compared to whatever the other treatment is. Mm-hmm. So that's where most of the research is. However, I can also say that in terms of long-term, I'm really uh, just going by anecdotal information. I have found that, you know, I do, if I do a successful a course of treatment with somebody and then they go away, And sometimes they come back two or three years later and they're coming back with a different issue. Like say Mm -hmm. they had a lot of trauma in their childhood, we've helped them to clear it. And then maybe two to three years later, they find themselves in a toxic job situation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so when they come in again, I said, well, okay, so what happened to the other memories? And, you know, did they ever come back? And so, oh, no, I never even think about the past anymore. I never, I never think about, you know, the sexual abuse or any of that. Uh, You know, right now, I'm just totally preoccupied with the current stressors. So I often get that response. And that could be like two or three years later, you know, or even four or five years later after Mm -hmm. the treatment. And I've heard the same thing from other EMDR practitioners that, you know, when they when they see the patient again, sometimes they will contact the patient, you know, for their own interest, and they'll contact Mm -hmm. the patient one or two years down the line and say, how are you doing? And, and they almost always get that response oh yeah yeah that's in the past I'm fine now right yeah so that's really good feedback I mean that's the most important to have that kind of feedback really more more money is going into drug research than these kinds of therapies that are not making money for the big pharmaceutical companies right absolutely Absolutely. which makes a lot of sense Um, Lucille in your experience how do patients typically typically respond to EMDR therapy and especially those who might be a little bit skeptical at first, like, will it still work for them if it, if they're skeptical or oh, do yeah. to be really open to the whole process? Yeah. Yes. Um, first of all, it depends on how skeptical, like if you're, if, if a person is coming under duress, like my mom, my, my wife sent me because she finds <laughs> yeah. pain in a lot and I don't know why I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody can resist uh, an effective form of therapy. Anybody, if they're not into it, they can resist. So it doesn't work for them. Right. Yeah. yeah. However, um, most people, if they just come in skeptical and they think, I'm not sure that this is going to work for me. And if that's level, that's the level of skepticism, usually just giving them a sampling, just doing, you know, picking a memory at random and, and giving them a sample experience will release them from their skepticism. Mm-hmm. And so I find that most people, you know, after uh, a little while, they really, they just get into it. 
they're fine with it. No problem. Even if they came in thinking, uh, I don't know if this is going to work. Because really what you're doing is you're engaging a natural process. As I said earlier, there's a natural process of healing. Every part of our being is gravitating towards healing or balancing uh, ourselves. So uh, it it doesn't matter if you're skeptical, the process will still happen. Still work. Right? What it's about for children? Do you also treat children or adolescents with with EMDR? I, I don't. I uh, because I you know I would have I I'm not trained in child or adolescent psychiatry, but I do know therapists who are, and um, it's very very interesting that for children it can work far more rapidly and effectively than for adults. And I think one of the things is because their brains are still plastic, you know, they're mm-hmm. still forming and they can they can form new uh, neural connections much more easily than adults. They um, but they require a very different technique because you can't sit down with a child like you can with an adult. And, you know, you're sitting across from other <laughs> one another and and you're talking about the, the memory and all of this with children. Uh, you sometimes they cannot really express they don't even understand what happened to them so they have a hard time even telling what mm-hmm. happened and you you have to figure it out through their behavior mm-hmm. right like suddenly they're they're becoming hostile to their friends or they're uh you know they're unable to sleep at night or all sorts of things right yeah. so yeah. you have to uh determine from their behavior and then the other thing that is used a lot is incorporating the bilateral stimulation with play therapy, which is usually the way that therapists work with kids. And so uh, they have um, things like um, uh, doll houses with all different characters and the child will, you know, make up stories about the doll house and who's in it and what they're doing. And, or you have them draw and they will kind of in the drawing, they will write, they will draw things that are symbolic of what happened to them. Or there's sand therapy where they're playing in a sandbox, you know, so mm-hmm. you engage them through play. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's much better. Um, adolescents are a little bit kind of in between where, you know, they can get bored very easily. So yeah. you sometimes you have to engage them more in activity, other activities. You have to start, you know, maybe so, sometimes you see they're, they're bored and they're nodding off or whatever. And you have mm-hmm. to start asking them, okay, so what happened when you went on that date on Friday night? Yeah, you know, wake you, wake you. <laughs> wake up, right. Um, so it, it involves more effort on the part of the therapist uh, and more creativity. Uh, but it does work. It, it can work really effectively. And it's so beautiful when you can intervene at that young an age and and help them so that, you know, they're strengthened for the rest of their lives. Right? You can save them from so much, so many different issues going yes. forward. Yeah. Right. So that's a great option. Right. And it's good to know if there are parents out there listening who, who have kids who might benefit from this therapy to look for a therapist who specializes in children or adolescents. I mean, that's, that's fantastic to know. And that brings me to my last question, Lucille, which is for someone interested in exploring EMDR for their own healing, what advice would you give them as they start this journey? And are there any exercises they can do themselves without a therapist? So I, I remember you, sh- you showed me this before. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, are there things that people can do at home? Um, yeah, I, I would say if you have a lot of uh, trauma, it's probably best to seek out a therapist, to be perfectly honest. It's very, very hard mm-hmm. to do this on your own. But I would suggest there is um, uh, a, an umbrella organization uh, that's international. It's called the EMDR International Association, and they have a website. So it's emdria.com. And they have some materials on the website that, you know, you don't have to be a member uh, for for people who are just uh, looking at it as guests. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can check into some of their literature, some of the research. Uh, The other thing that you can do is you can find more books on EMDR. They've been quite a number of published over the years. And so that will give you a much better uh, understanding of EMDR and how your nervous system can benefit from it. Um, I have a book right here that's really been written for the layperson. 
I don't know if think how past well you your past. That. Oh, that's interesting. I need to get that. Take control of yeah. your life with self-help techniques from EMDR therapy. Okay, that looks very right. interesting. We'll we'll put a yes. link below for you guys in this video as well. So you can check that right. out. Yes. So yeah, I would say that you uh want to research it a little bit more for yourself uh you want to you know check out some of the self-help materials that uh other emdr practitioners have put out um and um uh sometimes you can just yes you can try it on yourself but i would try it out you know in a very uh kind of limited limited way but for example when you are walking you are doing the bilateral stimulation Okay. So this is why sometimes you have a big problem on your mind or you've had a stressful day, you go for a walk and you feel better and or you may come up with some kind of solution to whatever the problem is. It's because that bilateral stimulation has stimulated your neural networks to start reconnecting in a way that helps them to figure out whatever you need. Right. That is so, I know, so interesting. I know you, you are an amazing hiker. I know you're yes. up and down that mountain in Gibraltar. I don't know how many times <laughs> we can do that. But, <laughs> but you know, you are giving yourself bilateral stimulation. That is so um, interesting. I didn't realize that, but that's maybe yeah. that's why I'm, you know, I'm so healthy and my mental health and, and I do get mental clarity and I get ideas when I'm walking, you know, sometimes sure. I get my tripod, Absolutely. I whip it out and I start filming videos because I get all these ideas. So yeah, definitely walking is, is amazing. And it's great to know that you can tie that into your EMDR. I had no idea about that. Yeah. And so other ways you, you can just do, and there are various ways. I'll only demonstrate one, which I, I did a little bit before, which is, you know, just tapping lightly on the thumbs on the heads of your thumbs with your index finger alternating and, and alternating and just see if that works. Like for some people, they don't like it. Other people might uh, like the tapping on the tops of the knees or gentle mm -hmm. pressure on tops of the knees. Some people like tapping their feet. And you may notice sometimes when you're with anxious or agitated people, they start tapping their feet. My son and has I think that. That's the way <laughs> yes, and that's a way of self-regulating their internal, um, you know, emotional landscape. And I would say try that at times, not to get into the depth of your own trauma, but just to help you start relaxing. Um, so like uh, what I often tell people, we have horrible traffic here in Toronto, and sometimes you're stuck in traffic for like an eternity. I remember. <laughs> Oh, it's horrible. Yes. And so I tell people, you know what you can do is if you're stuck in traffic, you don't have to actually, you know, manipulate the steering wheel. Just tap alternately on the top of the steering wheel, just like that. And you may be surprised by how calm you become. Right? That is and so interesting. I think I've done that before without even realizing it. But without you, do, you kind of sit there and you start kind of playing with the steering wheel. How interesting right. is that? Yes, a yes, great trick. Yeah. That's a really good yeah. one, especially for yeah. Toronto, the big busy cities when you're stuck in traffic. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's amazing. So, um, so that's that's um, where it's at. I I would I would say you know just use this in your day whenever you feel uh, the bilateral stimulation, whenever you feel stressed out or you you need to calm down. It you can't go wrong with it. Now, the only thing that I would caution people. Uh, about is if you have a lot of trauma in your past and you're doing a bilateral stimulation just to get calm, you've had a hard day at work, you know, sometimes what this can do is it can stimulate your brain to start wanting to heal the trauma. So it starts bringing up the traumatic memories. And I would say that's not something you want to pursue without the help of a therapist. So if that happens to you and you're just you know, starting to chill out. And all of a sudden you have this memory of, you know, uh, something horrible that happened to you when you were five years old. You want to stop. You just want to stop at that point and distract yourself and do something else, you know, healthy to, you know, get yourself calmed down because the brain loves to be stimulated and it will use every opportunity to start uh, healing from uh, whatever is out of balance. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to pace it and say, wait a minute, I'm not going there yet. I need a, I yeah. need a professional to help me with that. No, that's, that's a very important tip, I think. 
And when you're going to bed and sometimes your mind starts racing as you're trying to sleep, is there a quick technique that you could use to kind of quiet the mind before going to sleep? Sure. And you can play with it yourself, any bilateral alternating stimulus. So mm -hmm. I have had patients who uh, they like the eye movements. So they are um, just, just moving their eyes side to side. And after a while they start nodding off and then they can go, go to sleep. Okay. Wow. Um, for some people, they just tap very gently or put very light pressure mm -hmm. on their thighs, or they can also be doing this. Mm -hmm. Nothing, nothing too, vigorous, nothing too vigorous, just, you know, gentle tapping and, um, uh, and just, you just breathe normally and that's it. And some, for some, and you just have to sometimes experiment with it. Like some bilateral mm -hmm. stimulation may work for you. Others may not. Mm -hmm. And just try it out and see what happens. Wow, that's super interesting. And it, and it was so great to learn more about this fascinating technique. I hope you guys also found this episode as interesting as I had. And thank you so much for, for all the information, Dr. Lisa. I really, really enjoyed this. It was fantastic. We have to do more episodes like this, I think. Um, if right. you guys also like this format and you enjoyed this, you know, to, have, to do something different, not just the questions and the answers all the time, then let us know because I know Dr. Lucille is looking forward to interviewing me on a few different topics yeah. as well. So yeah. stay tuned for those. And guys, you don't want to miss episode 14, which will be out next week, where Linda is going to come to us. And she's very, very frustrated by the grumpy old man in her life that is her husband. So we're going to try to help her out. And as always, keep sending us your questions. You can send it to us. You can DM us on Instagram. You can also email us. You can find our email below or just comment on this video. If you enjoyed this video, then please share it with your friends. That helps us so much. And also don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, you know, all that jazz. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Dr. Lucille, once again. This was a fantastic interview. I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. And I hope it helps a lot of people out there. Thank you so much, Lynn. I hope so too. Take care, guys. All the best. Okay. Bye-bye. See you in bye -bye. the next episode. Please be aware that Lynn and I are here to provide insights, advice, stories that are for educational and entertainment purposes only. None of our content should be considered to be personal, medical, or mental health therapy. If you are experiencing a mental health or physical health challenge, please consult the appropriate healthcare specialist. We are here to provide the best possible content in an atmosphere of positive conversation and personal growth.